Well, that was the opening music to Blood on the Moon, released in 1948, and starring Robert Mitchum, Barbara Del Geddes, and Robert Preston, and Walter Brennan, uh, Phyllis Thaxter, Frank Phelan. There's a really good cast. It's directed by, drumroll, Robert Wise. I know. This is Bob uh, in, in Los Angeles welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and our review of Blood on the Moon. This came about because I made the mistake of saying that uh, Robert Weiss had not done any Westerns, and boy, that was, I was really uh, wrong on that. He, he, he did more than one. He did this one, Blood on the Moon, and he did another one with Spencer Tracy, Tribute to a Bad Man, in the 1950s. And so now he we, we've... We've uh, covered the waterfront with Robert Weiss. He's done every genre <laughs> of movie there that there is, I think. And all of them are ex uh, ex exceptional. What yeah, a talent. We, we had a, a listener point out to us that actually Robert Weiss had directed Westerns. I don't know why we didn't find that when we were doing our original uh, research, but thank you for pointing that out because this movie is really good. And uh, I should introduce myself. I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend. Uh, yeah, and welcome back to the show. It is interesting that, that I, I just uh, skipped over that earlier because I have seen Blood on the Moon and Tribute to a Bad Man more than once. Oh, I, I, so <laughs> just it's not, forgot. I, I, can't, I can't plead the lack of knowledge. I just I forgot. Yeah, I, mean, I should have known that he w would have done that because he was so adept at every kind of film that you could think of just going back over what i think this is our sixth podcast something like that of a robert weiss film he was that prolific and from everything i've read he was really uh an excellent person to work with he was very organized and knew exactly what he wanted but he went about it in a way that made people feel they were part of the team the thing i noticed about his movies is that he is really good at including little details in the shot that make you more engaged with it. So the, one of the very opening shots of this movie is Robert Mitchum's character, Jim Gary, is uh, riding on his horse. It's late at night. He's looking for some place to bed down for the night. And he finds this spot under a tree, which looks like it might be like an old creek bed or something like that. And then and it's raining like crazy so it's it's muddy everywhere and and he he's wet and then as he's just getting settled in this all these cows come trampling down this uh, creek bed and and just run over everything that he set up and he has to climb this tree in his socks <laughs> to get out of the way I, and, that's, and then, that's so good yeah and then there's this little there's this little shot of him like afterwards in the aftermath like pulling his boot out of the mud and then rinsing it off in a puddle. It's just it's just a little thing like that like yeah, I guess you would want to rinse your boot off after that happens. You wouldn't want to have it all covered in mud. <laughs> I was thinking when that scene was coming to an end, it must have been really pleasant for him in those socks. Oh, yeah, after <laughs> they were all wet and muddy, and then he puts them oh. inside his boot. Oh. Uh, Mr. Weiss was just exceptional. About halfway into the movie, there's another one of these scenes that 
I'll never forget where Mitchum is riding to either go into town or to go one of the, to one of the ranches. And, and the photography, I think they must have filmed that part at Sedona, Arizona. And the lighting and the black and white cinematography of him moving through the night is just exceptional. That I had forgotten how beautiful that scene was. It lasts for maybe less than a minute. But it just adds to the detail and nuance of his films, of, of Mr. Weiss's films. And and there's n and any number of those scenes like the I know we're jumping around here, but that fight between Mitchum and Preston that takes place in that bar, mm -hmm. they did all of that themselves. There were no stunt doubles in that, and the lighting was such that they could do that. And I wonder, I never did find out if that was done in one take or they had to do several. But that is so realistic and brutal. Yeah, it looks really real in the sense that they just look so exhausted robert mitchum's character walks away from that but he just looks so beat up and and like you would look after a fight like that i feel uh, no something, kidding something else i noticed is the use of the weather so opening shot it's raining uh we've got some really amazing shots in the snow there's some some you know shots of, of wind and kind of stormy weather and uh it reminded me a bit of akira kurosawa where he loved to include weather in his uh films mm -hmm. and i think it adds so much to the beauty of it and just sort of the interest of it for me oh totally and it also adds a note of the grime and and uh what it was like to live in the old west as a cattle uh roundup guy a cowboy whatever because you know there was really very little relief from that kind of weather if you had a clear day and you were near a creek you probably loved to jump in and try to wash off <laughs> yeah and I, and i want to mention one actor in the film that i've always been impressed with the way he did the role and that's tom tully as john uh lofton uh, Mr. Uh, Tully was in television and films for decades, and he did a lot of kind of like the second-line characters. But in this picture, he really moved to a, a higher level for me, just the way he carries himself. And he's so believable. And it may be because when I was a kid growing up in Montana, my dad knew a guy that looked just about like him. Oh. <laughs> and he ha he had a cattle ranch. I forget his name, but... Every time I see that character in the film, I'm reminded of that experience back in the early 50s. So a shout out to him. He was excellent in the film. Yeah, it was Robert Preston looked different in this movie than what I picture him as in my mind. When I think about him in later films, like his, his, his face sort of changed as he got older. But it, it finally dawned on me that he was in one of my favorite movies the last starfighter and he was he was like one of these alien recruiters who was trying to find people to uh help fight against the the alien invasion or whatever and then i remembered him also from the music man which was really good oh yeah meredith wilson's music uh, he's very talented actor well, a little bit about the plot i guess uh the, the story is based on a book called gunman's chance by Luke Short, and uh, 
Jim Gary is kind of coming over to, I think they're in Arizona. Yeah, they're in Arizona from Texas at the request of, of his, what he thinks his friend is Robert Preston's character, Tate Riling. Yeah. And uh, then you, you've described that, that scene where the <laughs> Mitchum is soaked and the cattle are coming through. And he's rescued sort of by some of the Wranglers who wonder who he is and why he's around. Because unbeknownst to him, there's sort of a battle going on between different factions within, within the area. So they take him over to Tom Tully's uh, camp. And uh, what I like about the dialogue, it's very direct. Mm -hmm. If they ask Mitchum a question, he said, I don't know, I was, they came through and ruined all my stuff. I don't have anything. <laughs> yeah. What do you want? Yeah, he's like, like John Lufton's like, why didn't you come over the pass? And and uh, he's like, well, I think it's allowed to go off the trail, right? I mean, it's open country. So, yeah, the what's interesting with the setup of this is that uh, Robert Mitchum's character kind of comes into it totally blind. Like, he just got invited by Tate Riling to come over and, and lend a hand, and he doesn't even really know what he's going to be asked to do because there's a scene a little bit later where uh, Tate Riling is basically saying, you know, I, I want you for your gun. I suppose you'd like to know what this is all about. I have been kind of wondering, yeah. Well, I'm not going to tell you, Jim. I'm going to show you. Come in. Well, Jim, this is Mr. Pindlist, United States agent for the Ute Indians over the reservation. This is Jim Gary, my partner. How do you do? You didn't tell me before about a partner. Well, I'm telling you now. Before we go any further, I want it understood how he figures in this. You mean money? Well, don't worry, Pendleist. I'll share with Jim. Hmm. Well, here's the uh, item we were talking about the other day. I think you'll find it satisfactory. United States dollars are usually satisfactory, aren't they? Now look, I told you that Gary's my partner, Pindlist. What I know, he knows. So relax and sit down. No, I won't stay. Scared? Scared? Just cautious, Riley. Well, that's our partner, Jim. Cautious. And this is our working capital, courtesy United States government. There's enough there to buy me 2,500 head of Lufton's beef at $4 a head. That's cheap enough, isn't it? It's too cheap. Where's the catch? There isn't any. You uh, met Lufton, you say? Yeah, I camped with him last night. Did he tell you that Pindalist had ordered his cattle off the reservation? Yeah, said so they'd refused his beef. And did he tell you that the army from Fort Liggett has orders to seize the cattle if they're not off the reservation by the 1st of November? Well, he didn't tell me that. Well, that's the layout, Jim. I've organized these two-bit ranches to fight every move Lufton makes to push his herd across the river into the basin here. Now, the ranchers will fight because they figure they're fighting for their own range. But the truth is, they'll be fighting for me. Now, without any graves to move to, Lufton will be caught on the reservation and his herd seized. So what does he do? So? To me. Cheap. Because he'd rather get a little money than lose everything. Sounds like you got him over a barrel. I have. I buy them cheap and sell them back to the government through Pindalus for full contract price. 
your cut will be $10,000. What do I have to do to earn it? Lufton's tough and my ranchers aren't. You'll make up the difference. You see. I've been mixed up on a lot of things, Tate, but up to now I've never been high as my gun. Can you afford to be particular? No, I guess I can't. Another uh, really good scene is where our, our um, Robert Mitchum character, Jim, is trying to uh, get across the river. I think he's giving his horse a break to get some water. And he gets he starts getting shot at. Oh yeah. And this person's got a rifle but needs more practice on hitting the target unless it, <laughs> she was trying to scare him, but that was Barbara Bell Getty's character, Amy Lufton. I really liked her character. Wasn't she good in that? Yeah, yeah. she really was. She had a lot of spunk and and uh, determination was and was not shy. She held her own against all those guys that were in the movie, for sure. And I don't think any of the family on her side could really tell her what to do. She was going to do what she wanted to do, and that was that. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's a credit to everybody involved in the production to make those roles of women much more uh, rounded out and, 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 and involved in the action. She's, uh, she takes no guff from anybody. This is a little bit of a spoiler, but uh, there's a scene a little bit later in the movie between Amy Lufton and Carol Lufton, their sisters. Carol's played by Phyllis Thaxter. And uh, Amy has been kind of helping Jim, even though Jim has hooked up with Tate, who is trying to run all of the Lufton's cattle uh, out, out into the wild so that, that they, they scatter and they can't be uh, sold at auction. But then Jim kind of comes around to the fact that Tate's not a very good guy and he really likes Amy and then Amy is starting to really like him and then Amy and her sister Carol have this conversation in the kitchen of the, of the ranch house about how Amy is just being dumb and don't fall for Jim because Jim is a liar. And then a little bit later in the film, we find out that Carol has actually been seeing Tate on the side. And yeah, she was kind of the inside spy for yeah. him. Yeah, and she Carol realizes what a bad guy Tate is, and she kind of has to realize that actually she's the one who's been misled. I thought that whole dynamic between those four characters was really interesting. Like, that was one of the best parts of the movie for me. Absolutely. Uh, another one for me that, that so often got lost in some of these Westerns from, from uh, the 30s, 40s, and 50s is the role of the U.S. government Indian Native American agent. In this case, it's Frank Phelan playing Jake Pendelest. That's a name, Pendleist, and how corrupt he is. He's got this exotic and detailed plan to enrich himself and, and Tate by uh, uh, kind of double dealing with the government and with the native uh, first peoples on the reservation. And from my reading of history, there was a lot of that that went on. 
And this movie really kind of is built around that as one of the premises in the plot, getting the cattle away and then buying it cheap and then selling it back to the government at a huge profit. That makes the story for me a lot more interesting. And it almost becomes for me a, um, a film noir western. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I think that that's pretty accurate. I found that whole plot device really convincing, the way that they had set that up. And yeah, the fact that Jake Pendelist was supposed to be the government's representative on the reservation and was using that position to basically enrich himself at the expense of pretty much everybody else. And I was, and I, and I was curious because... Tate says to Jim that he'll get 10,000 US dollars out of this deal. And that was splitting Tate's take by half. So, you know, Tate was going to get 20,000. He was going to give half to Jim for helping him out. And I was just curious, like, what would $10,000 in 1860 equate to today's dollars? You know, that's a lot of money. Oh, it'd be uh, several hundred thousand, if, if not more. Yeah. yeah. So and they're dealing with uh, all of the uh, intricacies of the government and the reservation rules, and there's no interest in really what happens to the tribal uh, members in this. It's all about enriching themselves, like you say. And 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 at first, uh, Jim uh, Robert Mitchum's character is sort of ambivalent to this. He's really not sure what's going on, but he. He knows something is up that, that that smells a little fishy because of the dollar amount involved, and he finds out that he somehow landed right in the middle of this this cattle war between Tate and John Lufton and different groups of people, and and kind of a side character in all this is is Walter Brennan, mm-hmm. who loses a son during this whole battle and and he just decides he wants to pack it up he's had enough he lost his son his wife had died earlier but but walter brennan is another character that is amazing to me he just he is so good in the roles that he took oh he was in red river yeah we watched that that was good rio bravo the westerner he's been in a lot of movies and charles mcgraw remember old charles mcgraw from Narrow margin. Yeah, he was in it as well. That's right. He kind of had a smaller part. That coat that he wore looked like it was so shop worn and heavy that it could get up <laughs> and walk off on its own. I don't know. It looked like it weighed about a hundred pounds. Yeah, it, but it's little touches like that. I noticed oh, that coat is. too, and I thought that seems real to me. Like that's the kind of coat you would wear in the winter time in that environment because it would be so cold and you know you don't have puffy jackets back then you've got <laughs> you got furs and that's what he had this will be kind of a sidebar but you'll you'll remember it when i when i get to the pointer you and, and ben and i went to a doctor who convention in bellingham years ago <laughs> yeah and the, the, the auditorium was packed with doctor who fans and we walked in and we're like whoa they need to turn on the fan yeah <laughs> But just imagine what it would be like in the bar when all these characters like McGraw and Brennan and so forth come in for a drink. 
Well, and then you've got, the, you've got the wood smoke from the wood stove. You've got people smoking, you know, tobacco. They're rain soaked yeah. from the weather. Yeah, yeah. Holy mess. But it, 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 again, it's it's just exceptional how all this comes through in the film. It's almost like you could you could smell these people mm-hmm. just by the way they look. Yeah, there's a real like physicality to the movie. It feels oh. very real. Yeah, I wanted to mention another scene with Amy Lufton when she's out looking for her dad, who who was supposed to cross the river with the cattle at a certain point. Uh, but he had this plan where he was going to kind of trick uh, Tate and his gang, and then he was going to cross at a different point, but didn't tell anybody. So Amy shows up, Tate's there, Jim's there, like Tate's gang gang is there, and Tate has has talked like the homesteaders into being on his side. So there's all these homesteaders there, uh, but there's also these hired guns, and she just lets them have it. You looking for someone, Miss Lefton? So you're one of them. I guess Dad wasn't so wrong about you after all. Wrong? He must have spotted you for one of Riling's gunmen the minute he saw you. <laughs> Funny, isn't it, Riley? But not to you. By now, Dad's probably got his herd across the river someplace else while you wait here at Rocky for it and throw him back. Is that why we're here? Isn't it? Simply because Dad was smart enough to give this saddle tramp a note he was sure to read. He knew he'd tell you when to call you over here. How do you like it now, Chris? You and your son. Why, you aren't even being led by a smart crook. We're only fighting for what belongs to his machine. You didn't fight for it before Riling gave you the idea. Why didn't you go to Dad, Chris? Talk to him. You used to work for him. You know he's not unreasonable. Call it reasonable to kick us off our land? I don't believe I've seen you around here before. You fighting for your own graze, too? No, ma'am. And you? I thought you were old old timers fighting for the land you settled on, Chris. At least it's in the open now. Paid gunmen against working riders. You did read that note, didn't you? No. You're a poor liar. Yes. Well... Lufton's across the massacre. I loved her just like directness and just getting right up into the, their faces and saying, you know, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? I think the homesteaders were sort of bamboozled by Tate as well, right? Like, I think they yeah. could have just talked to uh, Mr. Lufton and figured something out, I feel like. But he he had this plan to basically screw everybody over and get this money out of the government. Yeah, I just, I, uh, it's just every everything about it is well put together, and and the, the reviews reinforce that uh, in terms of the action, the actors, the story, and uh, one of the things that I I read is uh, this isn't a direct quote, but there's something I read I wanted to just cover here, a uh, comparative newcomer to the director ranks is Robert Weiss, and he's managed to keep the atmosphere of the leisurely paced film charged with impending violence. Yeah. But that that doesn't really capture what we saw in it, at least 
the color, the cinematography, the drama, the details, just, it's just, it's exceptional, I think. That scene where, um, uh, Mr. Uh, John, John Lefton and Amy Lefton come into town and they're confronting Jim and then two of the hired guns for Tate's hired guns start to kind of like come come toward this group of Jim, Amy and, and John. They they want to kill John. Jim fights them off and basically says, get out of here. This was never the plan. So you know that Jim sort of has like this line that he won't cross. And I think that's, I don't think Tate counted on that, right? Like I think Tate was thinking, well, Jim just wants the money. He'll do whatever. But yeah. Jim, Jim actually had a conscience and he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. It also gave uh, the audience a chance to see his talent as a gunfighter. And, and his reputation must have been pretty, pretty good because that one guy just kind of threw up his hands and said, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is not worth getting shot over. That scene reminded me of some of those samurai movies from Akira Kurosawa. And it, re <laughs> oh, yeah. it reminded me of the later movies with Sergio Leone and, and uh, Clint Eastwood, you know, like that. It, it had a f same kind of feel to it. Or the Charles Bronson once upon a time in the West, yeah, Tate's plan begins to unravel, and uh, he realizes that Jim is is really not who he thought he was. And I, I don't know the sequence in terms of where we are in the plot, but they have a confrontation in that bar, and that's when that fight takes place. That's just an amazing piece of, of acting, choreography, and cinematography. And uh, I, what, I, what I also like, there was another guy there that was one of Tate's people, and he's about to shoot Jim, and he gets shot himself. And who does it? Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he changed his mind. He was going to stay, and he'd finally figured out that, that Tate had, had lied to them, and there was a lot more to the plan than anybody realized from the homesteaders. Yeah, and Walter Brennan's character has a great line there where Jim says, you know, thanks for shooting that guy. Chris Barden says, Why does it do it? They always wanted to shoot one of you. He was the handiest. Get out. It, it was ambivalent, like, well, I could have shot you, too. So it was like, I, I went with the other guy, but don't feel too grateful. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he was so overwhelmed by the death of his son. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I think he was, he was just totally depressed. But, um, well, there's a, I, I don't want to skip over this other scene that I really liked with Phyllis, Phyllis Thaxter and uh, Robert Preston. When she confronts him, you know, out at his uh, ranch house and basically says, well, here's what I was told was going on. Is that really what's going on? And basically Tate admitted, yeah, that's what's going on. And I wanted to make all that money for us. And she's like, that's BS. I don't think you even love me. Can you even say that you love me? And, and he's like, well, sure. I, I love you. Sure. How do you know? He's been at the ranch. Tate, I want to talk to you about something. That's why I came here tonight. 
Well? What is it? Gary told us something very interesting. He said that you and Pendleus had cooked up this fight with Dad to crowd him off the range. So he'd sell his cattle to you cheap. Is that true? So Gary told you that, did he? Is it true? What else did he tell you? This sounds good. That you wanted him to make the offer to Dad. Did he tell your father that? Yes. Kate, you haven't answered me. Is it true? Yes, of course. You mean you've been making those poor homesteaders think it's their rights you're fighting for? I wanted money for us. This was a way to get it, a lot of it. Money your dad could spare. Tate, look at me. Do you love me? Have you ever loved me? What do you want me to say? Sure. Don't lie to me. You've used me to beat dad. I betrayed him for you. That's all you ever wanted. It's all you ever counted on, isn't it? Say that. Will you go in town with me this minute and marry me like you promised? Until I get money enough to support you. Oh. Well, what's funny? I was thinking of something I told Amy this morning. And she, she just slaps him upside the face so hard. Cause yeah, and that so was disgusting. real. Was that real? Well, I, I think it was. I mean, it sure looked real to me. Oh, that would have hurt. It did look real, yeah. He deserved it, though. He really yeah. did. That was a that great... Guy was, that guy was really a deceptive person. I also like the scenes where uh, Jim deceives the uh, Native American Indian agent, Pendleist, into into going with him, and, <laughs> yeah. and he becomes his he becomes his captive, and and then it was sort of nonchalant about how Jim would handle him. Oh, he knew that he he couldn't that Pendleus couldn't take take him, so he it was he just kind of like threw him around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that scene where he kind of kidnaps uh, Pendleus, uh, or at least takes him away so that he can't call in the army, and then jake and or tate and his gang catch up to him and jim gets injured but is able to escape back to chris barden's house and amy lufton happens to be there as well i think looking for jim and then the three of them hold up in that cabin for like hours and hours while tate and a couple other guys are shooting at the windows and trying to get into the house and and jim and amy and chris are firing back and and another great line from walter brennan is like well they can't burn us out and we got plenty of cartridges so we'll just wait it out you know until reinforcements come look here chris before this goes any further tell ratting i'll go with him these walls are good and thick they can't burn us out we get plenty of cartridges he won't quit until he's got me, and he'll kill you both to do it. So we let him shoot you just to save our necks? And tell him she's coming out. They'll let her through. No, I won't go. Make her go. Why do you think she risked her neck to get back in here if it wasn't on account of you? Why do you think I want to get her out? Same reason, I reckon. 
right, Amy. But it wouldn't work, not even if you'd had me. Now, will you go? No. Look, I've been fiddle-footed and no good all my life. I, I'm not asking any woman to take that. I knew that when I came here. That's what I am, Amy. That's me. Don't you see how useless talk is? I'm here and I'm staying. Yeah, yeah that was quite a motley crew. <laughs> I thought, wow. <laughs> With a lot of ammunition. Yeah, and then there's that scene where Jim sneaks out the back and, and takes them out one by one. That was pretty cool. I like that setup. And I like the comeuppance for Pendulist because he comes out and he's all upset. He's going he's gonna to press charges against Jim. <laughs> and the, t the tables get turned on him. Yeah. Now, Lufton... Don't look like you're going to get riling to do much talking. I'm going to have you arrested for murder. It was a fair fight, John. And I'll tell that to the sheriff or anybody else that wants to know. Lufton was telling us about a little deal that you and Riling had cooked up to swindle him out of his cattle. What about it? I had no deal with Riling. Don't forget, I was in on it, too. Well, boys, that's the man you've been fighting for. Get your horse. Me and you are going to have a little talk with the marshal. Guess we've been a pack of fools, Lefton. <clears throat> hey, say, fellas, I got a jug I've been saving for a special occasion. This looks like it. What do you say if we... <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that guy went and served some time in Leavenworth. Uh, hopefully. So, so I, this movie for me uh, is a 10 on a lot of levels the script the direction the photography the acting the story the uh subplot about the the, the uh, government agent and corruption i just i just really i really like it i had forgotten this movie and i it's amazing that i did it kind of gets lost in all the films from the late 40s mm -hmm. in my uh, i've seen <laughs> i've seen so many <laughs> But it's a, it's a dandy, and the title, yeah, blood that on the catches moon. your interest. Yeah. Blood on your blood on the moon. It did well, got a lot of good reviews, and Mitchum was classic. He really yeah, is. I actually, I actually watched it twice. I enjoyed it so much. I'm like, I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, I would give it a ten. It's it's a uh, right up there with the best movies, and certainly one of the best westerns that we've watched. I, I also, it, it makes me appreciate the, the use of black and white film and photography. Just the, you, you, the color differences in the scenes and the, and the darkness and light are so hard to, to see that that could be, could be done in Technicolor or Deluxe Color. It just, it just wouldn't be the same film. It's, I was reading that there is a colorized version, and I'm like, why? Why would you do that? There's oh, so, there, there was that craze yeah. in the late '80s and early '90s. They were colorizing film, you know. I know why. It, it's it's funny because they've stopped doing that. I, I feel like it was a it was a phase where the technology became available, and it was like, oh, we can colorize these old movies. Like, wouldn't why wouldn't we just colorize everything? It was shot in black and white. It was meant to be done in black and white. It's just way better in black and white. It's it's a it's a total win win for me, and there's a lot of story packed into an hour and a half. It's less than an hour and a half in length. Oh, 
Speaking of colorized, you know that link that I sent you last night of Earth versus the Flying Saucer? Oh, yeah. Hugh Marlowe. Uh, that, yes. was, that was colorized, too. That version that I sent oh, that's was colorized. Right. Yeah, and it was... When I went to see that as a kid, which I did, it was black and white. It was a double feature. And the other film was probably another Hugh Marlowe film. <laughs> I can't remember now. I get... Sometimes I get... Hugh Marlowe and Richard Carlson mixed up. Oh, me too. In yeah. black and white science fiction films, because they were both doing them. But I think it was on a double feature with something like Creature from the Black Lagoon or something. Oh, man, that'd be a good double feature. Those four hours. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> How to ruin your teeth on a Saturday afternoon. It was the 19... Too much sugar. 40s and 50s equivalent of like watching a netflix series all at one go you know <laughs> like oh yeah yeah what did what did, how was your what was your rating of, of blood on the moon oh i gave it a 10 yeah i want to thank our listener who who uh brought to our attention that uh, robert weiss had indeed done a western in fact he'd done more than one western so it gave us a chance to go back and do another review of one of his movies <laughs> definitely by the time we're finished with our podcast, we will have reviewed every Robert Weiss movie ever made. That would be good. I think we should do that. Wasn't he the director of Andromeda Strain also? Yeah, he did Andromeda Strain. So he did that one and Star Trek for uh, for science fiction. Oh, and don't forget the day the Earth stood still. Oh, gosh, yeah. Man, he's so yeah. good. He is. Well, All anyway, right. that was a lot of fun. Should we... Uh, mention our next film it's, it's going to be quite a departure <laughs> yeah taking a here? 180 away from a robert wise movie uh yeah, so what's is... our next movie glad that you asked it's called sextet <laughs> a film from 1978 with uh, uh a lot of people that people know tony curtis uh ringo star and the lead is, uh, who is that lead again now? <laughs> Mae West. <laughs> oh, yes, Mae West. She was in her 80s at the time she did this film. And it may be a winner for the lowest grossing film ever made. Yeah. I, I read where it took in at the box office $50,000. <laughs> don't forget. On a budget of forty million. Don't forget Timothy Dalton was in it. Dom DeLuise was in it. Alice Cooper was in it. George Hamilton. I mean, this is this is just insane. Regis Philbin <laughs> was in it. Oh, George Raft. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's right. He was in that. And it's Mae West's last film, and she was eighty years old. And the premise is that she's uh, been married several times to these different to different guys, and then her latest love is Timothy Dalton who at that time must have been in his 20s. And so there's like a 60 or 50 or 60 year difference. And I was reading some of the behind the scenes stuff for this movie, and it's just bananas, like what, the stuff that was going on. So I don't expect to have it be a good movie, but I do expect it to be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> it's one that I had never heard of. I can't, I can't believe that something in 1978 passed by and and, and it, because it was probably in the box office an hour and a half <laughs> and it's a musical and then it was pulled <laughs> yeah. 
And she's she's able to disrupt high-level negotiations between the U.S. and uh, the United Kingdom and the Soviet Union. Oh, right. Yeah, that's like a Leave it to May West. Plot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I that's can't our wait. Next. I can't wait. Uh, and so, it's available. Uh, so yeah, you that, can that rent it, it on fun. YouTube. I'm not sure where else it's available, but it is out there to watch. So it's not like one of these movies that only exists on DVD for a hundred bucks or something. I wouldn't be surprised that it's made more revenue from its rentals in the last five years than it ever did at the box office. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! So anyway, that's our next feature. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I, can, I haven't watched it yet either. So. No, me either. I've only seen clips. Uh, I've seen enough to, to say, okay, this is probably pretty bad, but I, I definitely want to watch it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, 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 uh, we can compare it to some of our other fun movies that we've done, like Plan 9 from Outer Space. And what was that one with zombies? Oh, um, yeah, where they were dancing in the cemetery. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't I forget the name of it. <laughs> Yes. All, All right. right. Well, it'll be fun. Well, that was fun to talk about Blood on the Moon and looking forward to the next one. And uh, so that was our review of, of Blood on the Moon. And coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And here in Los Angeles, it's Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching. Gary, I guess I was wrong about quite a few things. Yeah, I was wrong about a few things myself. We've been plenty stubborn. That's going to make two stubborn men in the family. Well, I guess Chris was right. This is a special occasion. Come on. <laughs>